Good morning. All right. Why don't you guys get your Bibles out and turn to the book of Ezekiel. It's uh, like halfway through, a little more halfway through. Um, while you're getting there, do you guys know the illustration of the frog in the kettle? You know this one? So if you take a frog and you heat up a kettle of boiling water, or at least get it hot, and if you drop the frog into the kettle, the, 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 the frog's going to jump out, right? Because it doesn't want to die. Because boiling water doesn't feel good. And so the frog, because of the situation and the environment and the pain, it's going to avoid death. And it does. It's going to jump out. It doesn't want to die. Yet, if you take the same kettle and if you just put regular cold water in it, stick your frog in there, and you, you slowly increase the heat, the frog's going to stay in that environment. It's get a little warm, get a little cozy. He's going to like it. And then before he knows it, he's dead. He didn't jump out of the pot. Like his, his circumstances and his environment was so comfortable and the situation was changing so slow that he didn't realize that he was dying. And this is, this, is, this is where we're at. This is where we're at spiritually, most of us. We don't realize that we're dying. We just, we're just used to our environment. This is the way I believe that our country's in. Country's in this situation. We, we're, we're, we're slowly just kind of getting cooked. Um, inside of, I don't know, the Christian the Christian world, Christian professionals, uh, they're calling it the slow fade. Have you ever heard of this term before? The slow fade, it's happening to the younger generations. Uh, they are slowly fading out of spirituality and out of the church, and some experts are saying forever. Now, when you and I were younger, and maybe some of us can't remember when we were young, because we're so old now. But when we were younger, what did we do? We, we sowed our wild oats and we had our experiences. We messed around. We fell in love. We got married. And then we had kids and like, oh my gosh, I got to get my life together. So therefore, I go back to church so I can, get my, I can instill some values into my kids. I want my kids to grow up with faith in God. And so I'll go back to church. This, was, this is the pattern. Except now it has changed the slow fade has taken full effect, and they're not coming back. They can be good without God. They can give them a set of values that they think are good enough, and this is what, this is what our culture is experiencing. Spiritually, the same is true. Remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? Kind of like when you first fall in love with your spouse or your wife or boyfriend, girlfriend. And when you fall in love, it's like lightning, right? You fall in love. It hits you like a ton of bricks. You don't know where it came from. Like you thought you were, you know, you thought you had your act together. You were logical and, you know, you had a plan. And, and all of a sudden, somebody came into your life and messed it all up. And now you're all romantic and what? Why am I all mushy? What's going on? But it happens, uh, like in the natural, we fall in love, 
And in the spiritual, I believe the same is true for the most part. Most people come to faith in an instant. When they, when they come to the realization that Jesus is a real guy. Like he's, he is God in the flesh. When we break when he breaks into our reality, when we come to the realization that, that Jesus is more than just, you know, that, that picture on grandma's wall in the kitchen with the blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, that his eyes follow you all the way around. You know what I'm talking about? Does grandma have that painting in her, in her kitchen with, you know, with the Jesus? You know, his eyes, no matter where you're at in the room, Jesus is always looking at you. Yeah. Once you come to the realization that that's not, I mean, I guess, I mean, Jesus, I mean, if that works for you, that's fine. But Jesus is so much more. He's beyond Hallmark greeting cards. And once we fall in love with him, it just wrecks us. How do you fall out of love? Is it a lightning strike? No. It's you are slowly being cooked to death and you don't even realize it. Marriages don't fall apart in an instant. It takes years for a marriage to slowly fall apart to the breaking point where somebody has an affair or whatever, right? It doesn't happen in an instant. It's a process. That's how the devil works. He's in the details. He's in the minutia. He is in the, the little tiny things of life that, that wear us down, that slowly turns up the heat until we die. And this is what we're going to be looking at in the major theme of Ezekiel. All right, so you get your Bibles out. We're going to do a couple of things, but we've got to look at chapter 1. Strangest, quite possibly the strangest passage in all the Bible. And I'm going to read some of it to you this morning. Most pastors won't touch it because it's weird. It is so weird, so bizarre have no idea what's going on here for the most part, but we can understand the truth behind it. All right, chapter 1, verse 1. It was in the ninth year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Ezekiel. Heaven was opened up for him. And he sees a vision of God. He gets this lightning strike. On the fifth month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, by the, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. All right. So Ezekiel is a priest. And what is interesting about Ezekiel and this passage and what he's about to experience here is that it changes him. So when heaven is opened up, when he sticks his head into heaven and he sees it. Aaron, can we bring up my little picture? All right. I like art. I don't know. If you, if you don't know that about me, that's just I like art. I came across this image years ago, and I liked it. And then I'm like, oh man, I probably shouldn't like this image because it's astrology. So I didn't save it. I got rid of it. And then, year, I mean, then this, this week, I probably spent too much time on chapter 1 of Ezekiel. 
And I came across this image again. It wasn't astrology. It was a Renaissance etching of Ezekiel. So I'm like, oh, cool. All right, so here is, here is the material world. This is, our, this is our reality. This is our planet. Here is Ezekiel down here. And there is his head poking into heaven. And he gets to experience the divine. And it changes his calling in life. Because he was, he was a priest, the son of, of Buzai. And this experience happens on his 30th birthday. How would you like to get an experience like this, a birthday present like this? Pretty cool. But this experience makes him a prophet. So he begins to take on two roles. As we've been learning, there's, made, there's basically three offices. There's the office of priest. There's the office of king. So David was a priest king. And then there was the office of prophet. So the king, you're, the political realm, is supposed to take care of the people. It's supposed to be the shepherd of the people. Making sure that everybody, that justice is administrated, that there is plenty of food in everybody's bellies. That's what the king should do. And the priest, the priest's role is to actually intercede for the people to God. So you, you didn't, I mean, you brought your sacrifice into the temple, but the priest is the one that slays the sacrifice. The priest, if you did some naughty things, I think that naughty is the word of the year for me. If you have been naughty, you have to have the priest pray for you and sacrifice your animal for the forgiveness of your sins. So you could, I mean, some of us that come out of a, a Catholic tradition, maybe you've experienced the same thing. So you have to have a, you know, you go to a confession, you confess your sins, and the priest prays for you. He absolves you of all your sins. So the same is true in Israel. That's what's going on. I like Catholics. So I'm not going after Catholics in any way here because um, any, any Catholic priest that is a, a man of integrity will tell you that what Jesus did on the cross gives you the opportunity and, to, and the privilege to speak to God directly. You don't, need a, you don't need a priest to speak to God directly. Father Ramirez over at OLA, this is what he believes. He's a born-again Catholic priest. He had an experience with God that called him into ministry. Yet he will, you know, his, his job is to, to, is to pray for you, is to hear your confessions, and that's, I think it's a good thing. But he wants more for his flock. He's pushing them into spiritual maturity. Now, before we go off on Catholics, have you ever asked me to pray for you? Yeah. Have you ever asked your friends and your family to pray for you? Yeah. Have you ever relied too much on the spiritual giants in your life instead of taking care of business directly with God? We're, we're shepherds. We're here to guide. We're here to lead. We're here to support. But ultimately, you're responsible for your own spiritual growth. You don't need me to... I will pray for you, and I do every day, every week and every day, for the most part, unless I, I don't like you. <laughs> unless, unless you're frustrating me, right? No. 
Do you see the point? Well, Jesus, Jesus broke that, he broke that barrier. He ripped that veil right in half. So we have direct access to the Father. We do. It's an incredible opportunity, it's an incredible blessing, and we shouldn't we shouldn't be so spiritually lazy where we say, Would you just pray for me? Because I'm too lazy to pray for myself. Slow fade, folks. That's a, that's, a, that's a sign of a slow fade, of a falling back, of a backsliding, of an apathetic faith. God calls us to contend and intercede, not only for our loved ones, but for ourselves, too. All right. I looked and I saw... A windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and the fire was what looked like four living creatures in appearance. Down to chapter 10, their faces looked like this. Each had four, each of the four had the face of a man. I'm going to paraphrase, a man, of a bull, of a lion, and of an eagle. These angels, these four living creatures, had four faces on them. Uh, let's bring up our other, this is really hard to follow, so let's bring up our other image. All right, down to verse 15. As I looked at the living creatures... I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and the structure of the wheels. I told you this was weird. I told you this was bizarre stuff. How many people have ever heard this preached in Sunday sermon? All right. They sparkled like crystallite, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel, intersecting a wheel. And as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions. The creatures, any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went, and their rims were high and awesome, and the four rims were full of eyes. Down to verse 22. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures, was something that looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice. Your, your Bible might say crystal. Like ice, and it was awesome. And under the expanse of the wings, it stretched out and onward. Verse 25, There came a voice from above the expanse over the heads as they stood, with lowered wings above the expanse over their heads. It was like that, it looked like a a throne of sapphire, and high above the throne was a figure that looked like a, that looked like a man. And I saw what ha- what appeared to be his uh, his waist up. He looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. The appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so that the radiance, uh, so that the radiance around him. This was the appearance and the likeness of the glory of Lord. And when I saw it, I fell down. I fell down, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of the Lord speaking. 
So he sticks his head into heaven, and this is, he sees something like this. I, I've gone through maybe, again, I've spent too much time on this. I, got, I, I, I've, I went through a lot of different artist renderings of what in the world is going on here. And from what I'm learning, I, I, th- I don't think we have a foggiest idea of what he actually experienced. This is probably something, this is, at least this is some type of a visual aid. So we've got these four really weird gyroscope wheel things. We have four angels with, they each have a different face on them. Is that weird or what? And then we have a, 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 this big giant crystal sheet with the throne of God on the top of it. And it travels. It's like it is a vehicle. And, and it, it, it doesn't move like our cars move. It doesn't go like this. It goes like this, in an instant, in a flash of lightning. What in the world is going on here? There's different genres, different styles of writing that are in the Bible. And Bible scholars are going to say that this is apocryphal writing. It's purely symbolic. It's purely imaginative. It's there just to get our attention and to entertain. But he, he knows... This is what Bible scholars say. He knows that if this is for entertainment value. Um, But that's not true. This is not apocryphal writing. This isn't him trying to describe something symbolic. He is having an experience. All the good Bible commentators, although they have no idea what's going on here, they all will concede that this is not apocryphal. This is experiential. So he is experiencing this. Or maybe he's high on something. But regardless, the way that the literature is written, it is, it's not apocryphal. It's not symbolic. It's not a dream. Well, because Ezekiel writes down a dream later. We're going to see that near the end. No, this is something that has changed his life, that has moved him from being a regular priest that has memorized his scriptures into being a prophet who hears from God and communicates to God's people and tells them what's going on and tells them there is hope for you. All right, let's see the other little uh, illustration we got. There, Renaissance etching. Some weird little angel foreheaded things there, your gyroscope, God on there. And then he is handing Ezekiel, who knows the Bible. He is a priest. He is being commissioned to be a full-fledged functioning priest. And yet God hands him the, the scriptures out of heaven. And he says, you're going to eat this and you're going to ingest it. You're going to get it deep down inside of you and you're going to know the word of God. And he starts his ministry as a prophet, and he, uh, he prophesies actually in Jerusalem before the destruction of the temple and the city. He prophesies on the rivers of Babylon, and he's creative in the way that he communicates God's word to the people, just like we're communicating God's word in the living nativity. Ezekiel does the same type of object lessons. He builds a little sandcastle of, of, of Jerusalem and the Babylonians, and he's got little you know, action figures. And he's like, oh, you guys better straighten up or I'm going to destroy you. And so he's doing these things because he's trying to wake up the house of Judah. 
He'll spend years laying on his sides, being bound like a, like a bound person, like a slave. And he's saying, you need to wake up because this is going to happen to you. Jerusalem didn't fall, like, just like you didn't fall out of love with your spouse or you didn't fall out of love with the Lord. Jerusalem didn't fall in one giant cataclysm, you know, one big siege. It didn't hit them all out of the sudden. It was like us, a slow fade. There are three deportations of the house of Judah. The first happens in the reign of Jehoiachin. Is it Jehoiachin? No, Jehoiakim. There's a Jehoiakim and a Jehoiachin. These are our Chinese Jews. We call them. I got laughs on this one. Didn't work out for service. I know. Do it again. So I know it's hard. It's hard to remember these guys. So there's a Jehoiakim. The last three kings: Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. So uh, Kim sees the first deportation of God's people. It's be Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Daniel's next week. You don't want to miss Daniel. And they, the Babylonians take their children away from them. They take the brightest and the smartest, and they don't fight for their kids. They're frogs in a kettle, slowly cooking. They don't realize what's going on. They don't realize what their environment is doing to them. And the Babylonians steal their kids and they don't even realize it. Ezekiel's prophesying to them, you guys need to wake up. They're stealing our kids. And you're sitting there cooking in your own stew. Second deportation, they do take Ezekiel away. And the third and final deportation is the destruction of the city, the leveling of the city, 586. It's an ash layer about that, that thick. I've seen it. This is how we date our history books from the Babylonian destruction in 587, 586. We, we've got the layer. We've got the strata. So that's how they do it. So well, here's the Babylonians. You know, this, is, this is the date, and this is how we physically date everything because of the siege in 586. But it was a long process. The destruction of the house of Judah was a long process. God took them, in, God took them into slavery. They didn't stand up and fight. Last ditch effort. Finally, the last king. He wasn't a good king. I'm not quite. He was like a. He was actually a puppet king. Like Ezekiel doesn't even call Zedekiah a king. He just calls somebody that calls him somebody that uh, the Babylonians installed. He was a puppet king. He's a vassal. He wasn't even a real king. He, they install Zedekiah. Zedekiah rebels. He's kind of. I think Zedekiah was an idiot. Is that fair to say? I, I think clearly he was an idiot, because he was. Um, he was. He was a puppet king. He gets installed by the Babylonians. Uh, uh, Jeremiah prophesies to him. And Jeremiah's prophecy to, to, um, to Zedekiah was, um, you will, you will, um, you're going you're gonna to be destroyed. God's going to, the Babylonians are going to destroy you. And you will never see 
you're never going to see Babylon. And then Ezekiel, it might be the other way around. I can't figure out who said what. Ezekiel says, you're going to be hauled off to Babylon. And Zedekiah has fun with this because we have prophets that contradict each other. You know what the prophet, so we have, we have one, we have, we, have, we have Jeremiah that says, you know, you're never going to see, you're never going to go into slavery. You're never going to go to Babylon and then, and then Ezekiel says, you're going to Babylon, and you're crossing, fig- you know, we have conflicting um, prophetic words. And Zedekiah makes fun of them. This is why I think he's an idiot. He says, he says you prophets, you can't, you think you hear from God, but you don't really understand what's going on because you're contradicting each other. You have, you, you know, you're saying one thing, and you're saying the other thing. You don't get, <laughs> this is scary stuff. You know what happens to Zedekiah? His, um, the Babylonians finally get a hold of him because he did something stupid. And they, they get a little, this is awful, I shouldn't laugh. Um, and they, they kill all of his sons right in front of him. They murder all of his sons right in front of him. And that's the last thing that he sees because they gouge his eyes out. And then they haul him to Babylon. So both prophets are right. One says, you're never going to see Babylon, which is true. He never saw Babylon. He was physically there, but he never saw Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel's crazy like that, very accurate. I don't have time to get into it, but uh, in chapter 38, it talks about Mog and Gog and Magog, which is uh, uh, quite possibly Russia and Turkey getting ready to invade Israel. If you watch the news lately, where is Russia and Turkey right now? Where are they? They're in Syria. What do they get? <laughs> Look, if they go to Israel, folks, it's time to start evangelizing. All right. I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, but basically, it tells you when the end of the world is. But I'm not going to get into that today. <laughs> Please tell me. I want to know, Pastor Josh. When is Jesus coming back? How much longer do I? How, how much longer can I sin before Jesus comes back? I, I know when He's coming back. It's tomorrow. All right, there we go. Jesus is coming back tomorrow, folks. If I'm wrong, I'll repent. And if you ask me tomorrow, what am I going to say? Thank you. All right, so why did I want to read this really bizarre encounter? Because, again, it is the encounter that actually changes his life. It's him sticking his head into heaven that transforms him. It's so weird. John Calvin, the great expositor, spent a lot of time on Ezekiel. He's like, I have no idea what's going on here. But what I do know is it changed his life. Isn't that cool? There's a group of people that actually think they know what is really going on here. Another reason why I want to talk about it, because it envelops the the spirit of Antichrist. Um, So there's a group of people that really know what's going on. Uh, Okay, don't raise your hands. This is kind of embarrassing. But how many people watch wrestling on TV? Oh, I've got somebody that raised their hand. Okay, like WWE wrestling. Like you watch it. I have some news for you. It's fake. I know. 
Yeah. yeah. All right. But you know, if you're, if you're sitting there watching WWE and Hulk Hogan and all this stuff, you're sitting there, you're watching wrestling, and deep down inside, you know it's fake. Right? If you don't know it's fake, just do a little soul searching. It's fake. Go to a high school wrestling match, and then you will know for a fact that WWE is fake. Or watch mixed martial arts on TV. MMA, watch that stuff. That blood is real. WWE stuff, is, it's all fake. Like, everything. Who's going to win? Who gets the belt? Who gets hit in the back of the head with the chair? Who gets their eyes scratched out? It's all fake. And you sit there and you watch it and you like it. And you, be- you want to believe it. It's kind of like this group I'm talking about. They think they understand what Ezekiel is all about. At least Ezekiel's vision is all about. And I have some confessions to make. It's the ancient alien folks, right? The ancient alien folks. History Channel, Chariot of the Gods book. Uh, Danigan wrote a book in the, in the 80s, 70s or 80s that said all of the experiences that, like Ezekiel's experience, like Elisha's experience, where, where people are experiencing these really bizarre things, like, you know, the, the, the chariot that comes down and, and swoops up the prophet, or what's going on here. It's like what they're actually, they're, they're having an extraterrestrial encounter of the third kind, right? This is what they're saying. They say, well, well, of course we understand what this is. Ezekiel is seeing the vehicle is a spaceship. Come on, wake up. This is what's really going on. And here's the confession. I watch ancient aliens all the time. But deep down inside, I know it's fake. But I like it. I know it's fake. If there, you know, if there were uh, intelligent beings from another galaxy or another universe, if they had the technology to get to our planet, we would all be slaves. It's all fake, folks. But I want to believe. I really want to believe in aliens. I loved E.T. as a kid. I want to believe. But it's not true. And we know deep down inside it's not true. But it does give us, you know, a really, that's why I wanted to talk about it. Not everything you see on the History Channel is true. Or everything that you read on the Internet is true. They just make stuff up all the time. All right. So it's the encounter that changes his life. That's the main point. That's what the, that's what the commentators are going to say. No, no, this is important. This is why it's in the beginning. It's because it is, and again, let's give the guy, this guy some credit that he came up with these, um, he's able to write it down in this way. Could you imagine if you, if you experienced God, if you actually stuck your head into heaven and you saw the throne room of God, Isaiah has the same type of experience. You remember that? Same type of thing, four angels flying around. Instead of them having four faces, they have one face, but one's an eagle, one's a bull, one's a man, one's a lion. Hmm? John the Revelator has the same experience in his encounter with God. Four creatures, man, bull, lion, eagle. Fascinating. Like He has an encounter with God. I think he does a decent job of explaining what's going on. What's up with the wheels, the gyroscopes? They are massive. Are the artist's renderings don't do them justice. I think that they're ginormous. 
My, imagine, my imagination will go there. They're ginormous. They're huge. They're scary. They're vibrating. They're, like, they're awe-inspiring. And it says that they have eyes or stars on them. What, the, what, what Calvin will say, what the commentators will say, is that it, okay, if you want to push it into the symbolic, it could and probably does represent God's eminence, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. God is everywhere, all at the same time. We're not that special. Okay, sometimes we are. Like, sometimes God likes us better than other Christians. This is true. It's just the way it is. <laughs> but there's other people in other churches where they're experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit, too. I know it's a big shock. But it's true. He, he's with Churches down the street. He's with churches in other cities. He's in churches on the other side of the world where they're being persecuted. God's everywhere all at the same time. And these eyes or these stars, he's eternal. He's, he's outside of time. I'm trying to figure out if the universe is eternal or if it's temporary. Um, scientists can't figure it out. They don't know. Uh, the, we had a scientist, we had a full-blown, full-fledged scientist here, first service. And he's like, yeah, we can't figure out if the universe is, uh, is eternal. Because if it was eternal, that could explain some things. But the way that the science is pointing is that it was, ready for this? It was created. It was designed. You know, to say that the universe is eternal is the easy way out, but they can't, they can't reconcile carbon stuff. I don't know. You went way over my head within five seconds. He sees all. He is everywhere at the same time. Holy Spirit lives inside of me if I make him a good home in my heart. I want the Holy Spirit to feel comfortable inside of my heart. That's why I'm always, unless I'm trying to be a better person, that's why I'm trying to not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. I want him to reside inside of me, and he does. But you know what else he does? The very presence of God is, is, is the atoms that are holding this, this table together. He is in the table. His spirit resides within me, but his very will that is holding all of the molecules and all the atoms that is keeping us spinning around the sun at the right rate so we don't burn up. It's fascinating. He's everywhere at the same time. Our great enemy, Satan, is not. We've got to get this into our heads. He is one place at one time trying to influence one person. So we all need to be praying for Miley Cyrus. God's going to save her. <laughs> no, I don't think he's messing with her. So I don't know. Who do you think he's messing with? Like if he, he, he and he's powerful. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to downgrade him, but he's nothing compared to our Lord. He is nothing compared to God. But he is very influential, and he's very good at what he does because he's able to turn that heat up very slow. And his little friends, okay, maybe he's not bugging me. He's not bugging you. We're not that important to him. He's going after the big fish. But he does have little friends that want to destroy your life because he's told them to. His kingdom operates much like a military kingdom. God's kingdom is when you stick your head in, in, into heaven and you see the, the immenseness and the eternal glory of God. You see the supernatural, natural. But see, the devil can't work like that. So he's just, he's just got, I don't know, maybe he does have some, something evil assigned to you where they're just slowly turning the heat up until you just cook in your own juices. Hmm? Does that make more sense? 
just little tiny things, little tiny offenses that he plants in your mind. You know what? God really doesn't love you because if he loved you, he'd give you more Christmas presents. You know what? You know, maybe God isn't a healer because if, if he was a healer, then, then he would, he, you know, Aunt Judy wouldn't have died of cancer. All these little tiny things, right? All of these little negative things. And it's just that slow heat that we begin to accept and to agree with, to slowly get cooked in. We don't wake up one morning and just say, I don't love God anymore, like kind of how we fell in love with God. We don't fall out of love with God. Again, we, it's that slow fade, that slow backslide, that, 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 that vicious cycle, right? That, that cycle of repentance and returning to God, repentance and returning to God, repentance and returning to God, which is the enemy's plan is just to slow you. Each time you do it, just to break you down a little bit further until you dis, you're so disappointed that your disappointment gets reflected onto God. But see, Ezekiel has the solution. Let's look. So he's really trying to get Israel, break them. He knows that God's going to break them. Now, this is kind of cool. I didn't do this for a service. Chapter 11 says, this city is a cooking pot. <laughs> Ready? And we are the meat. Therefore, prophesy against them. Prophesy, son of man. Uh, our guest speaker talked about this last week. This is a verse, a chapter 11, verse 8. I didn't know what he was going to, we didn't communicate, we didn't talk. I had never heard this kid preach before. Can you believe that? And this is what he, this was his key verse last week. Chapter 11, verse 18. They will return to it and remove all the vile images and all the detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart. Is your heart divided? Do you have, where are your affections of your heart? With the Lord, with God's people, with Miley Cyrus, right? Where's your affections? Why am I picking on her today? I'm so sorry. I, I mean, I kind of, oh, I don't, I'm not going to say stuff like that. I kind of like her music. So maybe it's a, yeah, I know. All right. All right, I can't believe I confessed that. Okay, here we go. I will give them an undivided heart, and I will put a new spirit in them, and I will remove them, uh, I, I will remove from them their heart of stone, and I will give them a heart of flesh. Right? Surgery. If you weren't here last week, you need to get the message online. Uh, Dennis, 22-year-old boy. And if you thought that we've lost the young generation, there's hope, folks. There's passionate young people. We need to give them a chance. Very exciting. All right. Here's Ezekiel's answer for us that are on the slow fade that have, are slowly, bit by bit, falling out of love with God. Chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he sent me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, He led me back and forth, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very 
dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? So he's asking. God's asking us. Okay, are we dead? There's there's certain areas in your life that are dead, that are dry. Can they live? The way that it also comes across is, Son of man, can you see these bones come to life? It requires vision. So what is it? What's dead in your life? Is there a certain part of your life that's dead? Maybe a passion for the Lord or whatever the slow fade is? I don't know. What, what, what has died down inside? What, what, what areas are you backsliding in? What areas of your heart that you've lost affection? Do you have vision that it can be restored? Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you've given up on your kids. Do you have vision that they will be restored? What is it? So God asked the question, do you have vision to see it change? Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. We have to speak the life into them. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. So good. And you will come to life. And I will attach tendons to you. And I will make flesh come upon you. You and cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then the Lord, then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied and I commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and a rattling sound, and the bones came to life. They came together, bone to bone. And I look, tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, okay, have you ever like, tried something with God and it didn't completely come to fruition? Maybe you were sick, somebody prayed for you, and you only got half well. Oh, God didn't help me, I'm going to give up. Oh, God only did part of the miracle. I'm going to give up. No, go for part two. So I prophesied and was commanded. Okay, a noise and a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked in tendons of the flesh. Okay, and he said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. Okay, so this is a dream. This is, this, is, this is prophetic writing. It's apocryphal writing. But it will happen someday. And the, the, okay, the imagery that is used, the, the, the dead bones, they are Judah. Actually, it's Israel. It's both houses. It's the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Both of the clans of screw-ups. And God's going to restore them both. Wow. But they're dead. How does he do it? It is the breath of God. It is, and it harkens back to, to Genesis 2. It is the ruach of God. When the breath is the ruach of God, it is the holy breath. It is the Holy Spirit. It is, that, it is, the, it is the, the, the animating, life-giving force that we as humans get. We get, we get breathed on. 
but it's that holy breath of God that changes them. Okay, you know the big, famous, uh, popular Bible verse, John 3, 16. For, the God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes, right? You know this one. Do you know who he told that to? Remember? John chapter 3? Who's his, who's, his, who's his audience? His audience is Nicodemus. The, the premier professor of Israel, of Judah. He's the smartest guy in the country. He's the rock star of Israel. He knows everything. He's got the Bible memorized. He is the leader of leaders. And where does he decide to encounter Jesus? He, he wants to encounter Jesus in the shadows, in the dark, not in the open air, not, in, not where people can see him. So there's a little bit of uh, insecurity, a little bit of fear, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, whatever. He doesn't want to be seen with Jesus, but he knows. And he goes into Jesus' presence and he says, look, I, I, okay, we can't deny what you're doing here. These things are real. These things are true. There's no way that you could do this stuff and not be sent from God. So you're sent from God. I, we're acknowledging this. So how do we get into the kingdom of heaven? How do we, how do we help me out here, Jesus? It's okay to pray that prayer. Help me out here, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, unless you're born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the smartest guy in the country doesn't get it. He says, what? I have to be born again? I have to go back into my mother's womb and come out again, right? You know the story. This doesn't make sense, Jesus. It's not practical. And Jesus' response was, you ought to know better, Nicodemus. You are, you are the professor of professors. You are the priest of all priests. You're the smartest guy in all Judah. You should know these things. You ought to know better because I know you have Ezekiel memorized word for word. You should understand the doctrine of regeneration. Remember, I don't know, 70s and 80s? Remember the term born-again Christian? So there were Christians and there were born-again Christians, right? Remember this? And then it kind of got all like legalistic and, you know, well, you're not a born-again Christian. Well, Ezekiel is saying, look, you can be regenerated, reanimated. You have the breath of the Holy Spirit breathed on you. It's the same doctrine as being born again. You can have heart surgery where God can actually, your heart's done for. It's, it's beyond the point of no return. You need, it needs to be taken out. You need to have a new heart, a flesh replaced in there. only way that we don't get cooked in our own juices each and every day we have to choose to be born again each and every day we have to choose to allow the holy spirit to breathe into our dry dead bones each and every day we have to choose to receive a heart of flesh and get rid of our heart of stone that's how you get out of the pot, folks. That's how you don't become cooked meat. I'm going to have the band and ushers come to your, the front. And in this Christmas season that is stressful, chaotic, hard, 
I want to encourage you. Like the next time you're freaking out, you're stressed out, you're wigged out, say, Holy Spirit, come. I need you. Maybe you only get part of the answer. Just do what Ezekiel does. Holy Spirit, finish the rest of the promise. Let's finish it up, God. He's not done with you. You are a new creation. He's here to make you new again. Transformation each and every day, no matter what stage of spiritual growth you are you are in, it, it, it's a requirement that we all have to be born again, breathed on, regenerated, heart surgery. Let's pray that we receive it. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the season that we are in. We thank you that, that you have given us a freshly spoken word. That you will not leave us undone. That you are here to see us through to completion and that you will do it. So God, we would just put our faith and our trust and our hope in you. We just pray for encounter, God. We pray that you just give us the ability to stick our head into heaven and to see things that will just wreck us for the rest of our lives. That will just get us completely sold out for you. Thank you, Father, for this church and the blessing that it is to the city and to the community. We say more, Lord, in your name. Amen.